Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. And I don't know about you, did, did uh, Christmas Eve sneak up on you this year? I mean, for real. Like, it snuck up on me in a huge way this year. I, I, I woke up this morning literally going, it, it can't be Christmas Eve. It, it sort of came up, one of my kids said it, and I'm like, no, 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 that's it's, it's like a week from now. And then suddenly there it was, and I'm like, oh, it's Christmas Eve. And so all day today, as I've been sort of thinking about that, I, I've been growing in excitement about what's coming tomorrow, because we've spent the last four weeks journeying together into the story of Christmas and into the reality that's waiting for us tomorrow that we get to celebrate. And so I, I've sort of been building up all day, like, it's tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow we get to celebrate the story of Christmas, and I am super excited about that, super excited about stepping into that reality and just living there for a day in this incredible story of redemption. You know, story is a very, very powerful and important part of our human, of our human experience, isn't it? I mean, you all love story, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you really do. All of us are wired to just resonate and love story. We just do. Uh, in our culture, it's probably most felt in the world of movies. I mean, most of us know what movies are coming out. Uh, this December, we, we were anticipating some big ones. I miss them because I have eight kids. I'm bitter about that. Um, but uh, you know, other than that, um, you, know, you, you, you all kind of know, here it comes. And, and early summer, big time in our culture for movies. Uh, we're all anticipating the dates. Uh, I've got a little log of each day that the big ones come out. Because uh, when we enter into a movie, we experience a story. Not our own story, but someone's story. Some uh, story about a, an idea or a reality or sometimes even a truth that we get to step into and experience in some way, that we get to learn from, that we get to resonate with, that we get to relate to. This is why story is so powerful to us. We feel like when we step into a story that we are able to vicariously live in a place that isn't part of our context and our experience so that we expand our experience and kind of go, wow, th this is incredible. We, we find the same thing in books. I mean, when you read a great book, you sort of get into the book, you get into the characters, and before you know it, you know, you're crying reading a book. I mean, you know, you're laughing reading a book. Why? Because we resonate with, we connect with the stories that are around us. This starts when we're children. I mean, what child doesn't love to have stories read to them? What child doesn't fall asleep to the stories being told to them? We find out this to be even true in our relationship with one another. I mean, any of you that are on Facebook, you know, I mean, Facebook Facebook now you can post like articles and videos. It's kind of frustrating because every two seconds there's another beautiful story to read. I don't have time. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you save your tissue box and then you read these stories and they're stories about other people. But don't you love reading them? Don't you love watching the videos? Don't you cry? Don't you laugh? Of course you do. Because a little part of your story is found in their story and so you connect. And, and we think for a moment, as we experience the stories around us, the external stories being told to us, we think for a moment that we kind, of, we kind of step into that story. And we do to an extent, no doubt. But when a story actually happens to us directly, that it's our story, not an external story, uh, that's a game changer, isn't it? I mean, look, when you're reading an article on Facebook about some family going through some deep tragedy or some a valley of the shadow of death, some disease enters their home or some tragedy with a child or some death in the family, there's grief you feel inside. There's, there's that, that sense of sharing. But when it actually happens to you, it's your story, the magnitude changes. The experience changes. Everything is very different. When you hear, hear, hear of a miracle, of, of some wonderful event, of somebody winning some awesome, 
awesome thing. I mean, we celebrate with them. We, we laugh. We're like, oh, I, I can almost feel your excitement. But when it happens to us, very different ballgame. We, we experience our story differently than we experience external stories. Even though both are powerful, we experience our story differently. You've heard it said of the Christmas story that it is the greatest story ever told. Have you heard that? I've heard that multiple times. This is the greatest story ever told. And and I would agree uh, in in this sense that it is certainly the greatest story. And it certainly is a true story that has tremendous implications and power. But I fear that there is a danger when we hear this, this terminology that says this is the greatest story ever told. Not that that word matters, but that that's actually how we experience the Christmas story most of the time. That it is an external story about events that took place a long time ago that have some implications to us, but it's really not our story. It's somebody else's story about some other people that we get to listen to every year and experience like any other great story. This one just happens to be greater than the other stories. When you enter into the scriptures, the revealed word of God, the Bible, it actually tells us something very different. It says to us that this story that is found in scripture, which includes the Christmas story, was not a story that was simply meant for us to receive. We were not only meant to be recipients of this story, we are actually also participants in the story. In other words, the story wasn't just written for us, it is actually written about us. Do you see the difference there? That's a huge difference. There are stories written for you, but there are also stories written about you, and they're very different. And what God says is that this story is not for you, it's about you. It's about me. It is our story. And so what is supposed to happen is that as you enter into the story of God that he's writing for you, you're reading the pages, and then suddenly you start going, hold on a second, that sounds sounds like me. And then you read about you, and you're like, "That that is me. And then suddenly you go, oh my goodness, who wrote this? This is my story. That's what's actually supposed to happen as we enter into the scriptures. The story begins about us as a human race, collectively. It begins not in the beginning of the Gospels like Matthew or Luke. That's not really where the Christmas story begins. It actually begins in the book of Genesis in the very beginning of the story. In Genesis chapter one, we are told that the creator and sustainer of all things creates into being a wondrous environment of unbelievable and extraordinary things that by definition declare and demonstrate and display his majestic creativity and power and might and wonder, his beauty and mercy and love and everything else that makes God, God. It it displays that, it demonstrates that, it, it shows that. And into that environment, he creates our story, the human race. He creates us into the environment and he says into us he places this wondrous idea, this wondrous purpose that he's going to make us in a likeness to him different from the rest of creation so that he displays himself in us and through us to creation in a way that even creation can't display at us. 
So in essence, he creates a symphony of sorts where creation is shouting to the human race, this is God, this is his beauty, this is his wonder, and humanity is shouting back at creation and at each other, this is God, this is his beauty, this is his wonder. That's what we were created for, to experience fully the freedom of relationship with our creator without boundaries, without restrictions, in absolute life and light and wonder. And then to experience the privilege of taking that freedom that is ours fully and to display it, to express it, to image it to all those around us and to the world. This was the life we lived, a life of freedom. The scriptures tells us that the enemy of God came into our story and he convinced us that if we pursue our own divinity, if we pursue our own story, if we create our own destiny, then if we image ourselves, then that will be a better story for us than the one God is writing for us. He did it this way. He said, look, that, that fruit that God told you not to eat, the reason he doesn't want you to eat of it is because then you'll be like him. You'll know what he knows. And that's a better way to live. Who wants to live under him when you can live for yourself? So we ate of the fruit, and instead of discovering the wonder of divinity, the power of divinity, the power to create our own story and to make it beautiful, we found exactly what God said we would. This word death, we'd never heard it before, didn't know it, but it came to us. It, did, it didn't feel good, it didn't feel pretty, it had words like shame and fear involved in it. It came with corruption and sin, and suddenly death entered into our story. And look, what the Bible describes is not that we became victims of death or victims of sin like a prisoner caught up behind it, but actually what it says is that when death entered into us, it, it intrinsically changed us. It made us something we were not. We were created for this purpose, and now we were corrupted and changed, so we became death itself. The scripture does not describe a victim that is caught up by death. It describes a human being, a humanity that becomes death and darkness. And so we enter into this world where that death and darkness that now drives our souls because we have such deep need forces us into what the Bible calls a slavery to sin, which is that we're driven to try and figure out how we're going to remain divine or at least meet the longings and needs inside of ourselves that need to be filled. So we search for it in love and in careers and in money and in power and anything else we can. We're like, I just gotta get something that will ultimately make this okay. And so we establish all sorts of wondrous systems. You pursue life. You fall in love, you get married, you kind of sustain that, you get some kids, that'll fulfill you. You birth into them, if they turn out okay, you're good. And then you make enough money to retire so you can play golf or pick up shells. And if you can't travel, that's even better. And that's our life. And Solomon calls that the chasing after the wind. The further you go, the more rat cagey it becomes. And you're like, ur, ur, ur. and then you get to the end of it and you're like, oh my gosh, what is this? Where's the meaning? Where's the significance? What is the deal? Because we keep trying and we can't. And that's our lot. That's our story, man. That's what it describes. In, in the book of Ephesians, Paul summarizes for us kind of our journey and summarizes the implications to the Christmas story as it relates to us. And he says this in Ephesians chapter two. Listen to this. He's talking about uh, the, the human story after we have now pursued our own divinity and entered into our own story, abandoning God's story for us. And it says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, 
body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's not a pretty picture of our story. Now you may be sitting there going, hold on a second, I'm totally confused. Is this a Christmas Eve service or what? I wanna go home, open a present, feel good about myself, because this is depressing, man. Well, don't worry, I haven't even gotten halfway through. You see, in order to understand why tomorrow is so significant and why it's worth celebrating and why it's so wondrous, you gotta understand this. You gotta understand what happened to us and how we are participants in death, participants in producing death. We look for it, we, we chase after it, we pursue it now because we want to extract what we can for ourselves and in so doing, actually by trying to save our lives, it slips through our fingers. And so when you realize that you're there, then you jump into the next part of that very passage that Paul writing that Paul is writing because he says, look, this is who we are. Okay, this is where we found ourselves. But, but that's not where the story ends. If the story ended there, we wouldn't be celebrating tomorrow. But the story doesn't end there. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter two. So it says, uh, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were death, when we were enemies of God, when we were caught up in our passions. I mean, you can fill in the blank there. Even when death was our reality and we were the enemies of God, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship now, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, what the story in Ephesians tells us is that we are not simply recipients of an external story about a God who's doing his thing. We are participants in the story of God working. And here's how it works. We are the participants in death as enemies of God. Then he comes and we are the recipients of his grace and rescue as he rescues our soul and restores our purpose. And then we are participants in life and light and freedom as a redeemed person that is now living as a workmanship of God, doing the good things that God invites us into, prepares us for, so that we can be part of the redemptive story. In other words, you and I move from being producers and constant living, constantly living in death to being redeemed, rescued, and becoming producers living in life and freedom. That's an insane story. We move from chasing after the wind, trying to produce some life here on planet Earth that we claw together and make it through to make ourselves some semblance of happy so we can pick up shells and play golf. Then we move from that reality into a reality where daily we walk into life going, my life is now redeemed and I have the power to be able to live redemptively for the sake of a creator and sustainer who loved me so much that he gave himself for me so that he could show his kindness kindness to me for all of eternity. That's insane. Who doesn't want that story, man? And that's where the Christmas story 
becomes so absolutely wondrous. That's where we step into because what we recognize, what we realize as we step into this is that that rescue act is what the Christmas story is all about. It is the story, not of some external reality, but the story of us. It's my story. It's your story. It's the story of your rescue and my rescue. It's the story of of your freedom and my freedom. It's the story of your restoration and my restoration to a life worth living on planet Earth, a life that has significance and purpose and wonder and adventure that God is writing once again for us and a life into eternity with life and freedom written all over it, all the grace and kindness of God shown to us forever. I mean, that's big. That's huge. And that's what we start discovering as we enter into the story. So tomorrow, as we walk into Christmas, as we walk into the gifts and the trees and all the beauty and wonder that makes Christmas so fun, the meals and the family and the stuff, all of those things call us and invite us and display to us and demonstrate to us that our story is worth celebrating because God made our story beautiful. And then when we open the Christmas story up, we should never start the Christmas story with Gabriel showing up and talking to Mary. We should always have a little prequel prior to starting that read. And go, hold on. Before I read the Gabriel-Mary deal with like the, the conversation about a coming Messiah, I should remember something. That I need to stand where I am before the Christmas story and go, before the Christmas story ever happened, before it became a reality, before it was a reality, what was I? I was a child of wrath, lost in myself, pursuing my divinity, trying to meet my own needs, and producing death in the process. I was lost and hopeless and chasing after the wind, and I was so blind, I didn't even know I was lost and hopeless chasing after the wind. I mean, that's the ultimate reality of craziness, isn't it? And into that, there was a whisper throughout the Old Testament, a whisper that God was not done with me, that he still had a plan to rescue me, and that he would send a rescuer, a Messiah, a Christ who would come, and he would rescue me from myself and my own self-destruction. And it is in that moment, standing there, I'm like, okay, I'm hopeless, I'm lost, I'm a child of wrath, I'm caught up in my own mess, I'm pursuing it like a crazy, I'm I'm running after it, and, and there's a whisper, you're not alone, you're gonna be okay, I'm coming to get you, but I don't know how and I don't know when. And I'm holding on to a sliver of hope that that promise might be true. And then you read the Christmas story. Then you open to Luke chapter one. And sitting there with that little glimmer of hope that maybe there's more to the story than my death and destruction, you start here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. (laughs) Now, Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I mean, I can totally see that. Uh, Who are you? And you're very bright, and that was an odd greeting. Oh, favored one, what does that mean? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something right? Is there something coming? Are you gonna ask something of me? She's like trying to discern, a little afraid, a little scared. And look what the angel says. Don't be afraid, Mary, 
For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. Now, we don't know anything yet. Wait for it. Now it gets crazy. Ready? This is where you brace yourself and go, what's next is insane. Watch. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom. There will be no end. Now if you know your Old Testament scripture, you know that's a prophecy and it's declaring that this baby who's being conceived in Mary's womb is the promised promise, the promised Messiah, the promised rescuer who is gonna come. And in fact, the promise was that the creator and sustainer himself would actually become flesh and blood blood, dwell among us, walk with us, and then give himself for us. That was in Isaiah already, man. As a lamb to the slaughter, he will come for us. So now you, you read that, and you're like, whoa, I think this is that, man. I, I think that this is that. But you're like, I don't know. He's not born yet. So you flip the page. And you're like, read on. Read on. Listen. In, in chapter two of the book of Luke, so um, Caesar Augustus decrees in the land that everybody needs to go to their hometown of their lineage, not where they were born, but where their forefathers were born, so that they could register because he wants more taxes. And so everybody has to travel now, and, and as you heard, Joseph was of the lineage of David, and David was born in Bethlehem, and so Joseph has to travel to Bethlehem with Mary, and she's pregnant. So it says this, um, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was, by the way, with child. It says it right there. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, of course, you, you sit there and go, hold on, the prophecy said the coming Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This is so cool. I mean, they live in Nazareth. How is this possible? Oh, they're there. They're in Bethlehem, and here comes a child. Who knew? Who knew? T take a look. And it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And you go, well, hold on, this is crazy. The Messiah, the, the one that, that sent the promise that's coming to rescue my soul, restore my purpose, change my destiny, bring me back to life and freedom from death and destruction, that baby's laying in a manger, man, and that manger is laying my rescue. My rescue, not some other person's rescue, mine. That's a big deal. And then as though not to end there, God goes, oh, I'm not done. <laughs> the story's still going. So there's these, these shepherds in the field right nearby Bethlehem, and they're hanging out, and these angels show up, and they start like telling them stuff, and this is what they tell them, right? Um, they, they're hanging with the, the shepherds, and it says, verse 10 of chapter 2, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. See, it's our story. It's for all people, not just those people. For unto you, that's all people, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angels are telling us. He's in the manger. Our rescue's in the manger. 
And then after a little while, Jesus is born and all that happens, they go to the temple as part of the Jewish tradition to bless a new child. It's part of a dedication process. And so they go to the temple to follow that tradition and there's a guy named Simeon in the temple. And God had told Simeon years before that he was not going to die until he saw the Christ born. Now this is after literally, literally after thousands of years of waiting, right? I mean 2,000 years of really kind of just listening to prophecies and, and the 400 years of total silence from God and they're waiting and God goes, you Simeon are gonna see the Christ child, man. So Simeon's like, this is awesome. And they bring Jesus to the temple and, and it says this, Simeon took him up in his arms and the Holy Spirit told Simeon, this is that child. And Simeon blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And it says, and his father Joseph and his mother Mary marveled at what was said about him. I'm gonna end there for tonight. The rest of the story you can read tomorrow. But, but it's worth marveling at that we, the lost and dead human race, are watching our rescue born onto planet Earth in the Christmas story. And we are gonna watch him grow up and rescue us from our own insanity and bring life back into our story. And it begins here in this Christmas story. And that's worth celebrating. That's worth enjoying tomorrow. That's worth throwing a party over. And that's why we do Christmas. Because we party because our rescue came. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay because Jesus came. And when he comes and he speaks to us and he calls us and we respond in faith to him, then our souls are saved and our purpose restored and we can live out how God created restored purpose by becoming ambassadors, represent, representers of his love, of his grace, of his mercy, by giving ourselves for the sake of others. Not because we must, but because we can. And the beauty of our story begins. And we become workmanship of God. Workmanship of God. This is our Christmas story. And this is why we celebrate. This is why joy is born in us, and this is why songs like joy to the world, oh joy, are part of the Christmas season. Because when you understand what's happening in this story, and you understand it's not an external story told for you or to you, but an internal story told about you, everything changes, and the true power of the redemptive work of Jesus is born in us. May Jesus become everything he was meant to be for you this Christmas. A person who is our creator and sustainer who came to rescue our soul, restore our purpose, and give us an adventure, a life so full of significance and wonder that nothing we could muster up ourselves would ever touch it. We become life and freedom and light again. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you have done for us. 
all that you have produced for us, all that you have rescued in us. God, that we walked away from you pursuing our own story, finding ourselves captivated by death and destruction, producing it and chasing after it, and trying to find some meaning in this life on planet Earth, and then you came. You came into a manger, became flesh and blood, grew up, died, and rose again to show us, declare to us, and live for us rescue and redemption, restoration. And now our life on planet Earth can be full again. And our life into eternity can be full forever because of what you've done. May those who are in this place discover you this Christmas in a brand new, fresh way. If they've never known you, may they come to find you to be all that you've said you are. And if they know you, may they fall more deeply in love with you than they ever have as we together meditate on our story, the one you wrote for us, our story of rescue, of freedom, of restoration. And may this Christmas be full for all of us. Full, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.